from ABC7 New York, this is Eyewitness News Extra Time. Good evening and welcome to this edition of Eyewitness News Extra Time. I'm Joe Torres. We begin with the race for the White House. The nation's first 2024 presidential primary is underway in New Hampshire. Former President Donald Trump and former South Carolina Governor Nikki Haley are vying for votes to become the Republican nominee and likely take on President Joe Biden in November. Eyewitness News reporter Morgan Norwood is in Manchester, New Hampshire tonight. Morgan. Hey, Joe, it's good to be with you. Yes, so polls here in New Hampshire are still open. They close in the next 30 minutes. They're open until 7 o'clock. But voters in the first in the nation primary could have the final say when it comes to the Republican ticket. New Hampshire voters are headed to the polls to decide their candidate in the nation's first GOP primary. I'm saying get out and vote. This is important. The first ballots cast overnight in Dixville Notch, a midnight tradition. All six voters picking Nikki Haley, who's locked into a tense showdown with former President Donald Trump for the Republican nomination. But I love this state. We've done well here before. In 2016, I came here. I sort of needed a victory and I won by 21 points. And the stakes are clear to voters. They spoke with our Eva Pilgrim. Why do you think it's so important for people to vote in this primary? Because the country's a mess. Donald Trump is looking to deliver a knockout victory over Nikki Haley. He scooped up support from former rivals who each ended their own campaigns before backing him. We need Donald Trump. America needs Donald Trump. If you want to make America great again, vote Trump. If you want four more years of Donald Trump, let me hear you scream. Trump with a machine of support, but Haley has put a lot of muscle into her own campaign, crisscrossing the state for over 41 days, with 81 events compared to Trump's 15 days on the trail and 17 rallies. And though Trump is leading by double digits, she's hoping to pull off a major upset, visiting polling locations today to pull in votes one handshake at a time. I fight the political class. Donald Trump has the political class surrounding him. That's not what Americans want. And meanwhile, President Biden, Vice President Harris, and their spouse are holding a rally in Virginia to discuss abortion access. And meanwhile, Nikki Haley says win or lose, she is committed to staying in this race through at least Super Tuesday. She's got her eyes on her own state of South Carolina, that primary just weeks away from now, Joe. All right, Morgan. Morgan, you know the history there in New Hampshire. Historically very high voter turnout. What have you seen and heard at the polling locations throughout the state so far? here in New Hampshire really take that job of first in the nation primary very seriously. So that's why you see that statistically high voter turnout. Um, but the weather is better here today, especially if you compare it to compare it to, to the Iowa caucuses where, you know, it was the heavy snow and the sleet and the ice and the, the negative uh, temperatures there that really uh, impacted voter turnout. We're not necessarily seeing that here. A little bit of snow on the ground, but nothing that the Granite State isn't used to. In terms of uh, turnout, the Secretary of State actually is expecting record turnout today. And in fact, in the past few minutes, that uh, towns were requesting more GOP ballots. So we'll see uh, how all of this shakes out. But again, polls open for at least the next 30 minutes here in New Hampshire. Some cooperation from Mother Nature. That always helps. All right, Morgan, thank you. Eyewitness News reporter Morgan Narrowood in Manchester, New Hampshire tonight. As the last major challenger in Donald Trump's way to the Republican nomination, Nikki Haley 
hopes New Hampshire voters feel so strongly about keeping the former president away from the White House, they turn out to support her in large numbers. And joining us now with more, Nathaniel Rakich, senior editor and senior elections analyst at our partners, 538. Thanks for joining us, sir. Of course. All right, let's look at the latest numbers out of New Hampshire. Donald Trump leads Nikki Haley 18 percentage points. Do I have that right? Ron DeSantis, we know, dropped out of the race before, but he still generates 8%. Do you guys see Trump with an insurmountable lead? Right. So these are based on the pre-election polls. Yes. And so I would say that's a healthy lead, but it's not insurmountable. And so obviously folks know from previous elections like 2016 that the polls are not infallible. And of course, in primary elections, polls tend to be even less accurate. So mm -hmm. I would say there's an outside shot for Nikki Haley to win, but Trump is clearly favored. Yes, definitely outside for sure. Numbers aside, Nikki Haley, she's got momentum on her side. I don't think people would uh, disagree with that. But unlike previous election cycles, you know this better than I do, winning the first in the nation primary, that doesn't necessarily mean you're well positioned to win the overall nomination. Is that correct? Right, exactly. So historically, New Hampshire has been really good at picking the nominee on the Republican side. Mm -hmm. um, but this year, it looks like New Hampshire is kind of an aberration. So if you look at future polls of future states, like South Carolina, for example, yes. Trump is a lot farther ahead than he is in New Hampshire. So it looks like New Hampshire might be Nikki Haley's best shot to score a win. Why the aberration this year? Uh, so it's a lot of it is because of the demographics of New Hampshire. Mm -hmm. So New New Hampshire is more college educated than usual and has a lot more independent and moderate voters. Yes. There's a lot fewer evangelicals than a lot of other states in the Republican primary. Mm -hmm. And those are all demographics that favor Nikki Haley and uh, kind of go against Trump. You, you just talked about this, but Iowa, New Hampshire, yeah, they lead off the presidential nomination process. Their Republican electorates, though, look very, very different, right? Across the board, uh, fundamentally, New Hampshire's more conservative, right? less religious, yep. uh, independent, we know that right. all the way, uh, whereas what happened in 1980, two states very voted different winners in every open Republican presidential race since 1980. Do you think that streak comes to an end with Donald Trump? Yeah, probably, exactly. So I think that you know the fact that Donald Trump obviously won Iowa by such a large margin and mm -hmm. is probably going to win in New Hampshire tonight, when those two states agree, yeah. um, is a particularly good sign for that candidate going forward. Last question, I'll let you go. Nikki Haley, South Carolina. That's your home state. I mean, do you do you see her doing well there where she where she thinks she should? I mean, I think she'll do better than maybe she would in a random other southern okay. state like Alabama, a place with a lot of evangelicals mm -hmm. and, uh, would be good for for Trump. But, um, you know, yeah, I mean, the, right now, the polls in South Carolina have her losing by about 30 points. And obviously, if you lose your home state by 30 points, you're not going anywhere. Yeah, doesn't look good for you. All right. Thank you so much. Of course. Nathaniel Rackage, appreciate it from 538 joining us tonight. You want to stay with Eyewitness News as well as ABC7NY for continuing coverage of the New Hampshire primary results and the race for the White House. A long way to go. Time now for the exclusive AccuWeather forecast. Let's check in with Chief Meteorologist Lee Goldberg. Lee. All right, thank you, Joe. So we still have some concerns for some icing in our northern suburbs overnight. It's really a damp, dreary stretch. It's going to take us through the day on Thursday, but we're going to trend toward warmer temperatures. So our ice concern is through tomorrow morning, and then it would just be rain after that. And in fact, gets quite steady as we go through Wednesday night and all the way through Thursday night. In fact, prolonged period of waves of light to moderate rain. There's a winter weather advisory in our northern and western suburbs for that patchy icing and even some snow well off to the north. 
We had a nice quiet evening, just a lot of clouds around. Didn't get much rain in New York City. And in fact, south of New York City was a non-event. Even over parts of the south shore of Long Island, we didn't see anything. And to the north, it was light, but it was some icing. So we're at 39 now, but the key thing is, is this light northerly breeze. There's this last gasp of chilly air that's coming in tonight that will help give a resurgence to some of the iciness, especially over in the northern western suburbs. And figure that goes through the morning commute tomorrow. Then we all go above freezing by midday and roadways would just be wet for the evening commute. The rain, you know, it's really fairly light. By tomorrow night, we get a steadier period of rain. That'll last into Thursday. We could get a half an inch to an inch and a quarter of rain by the time we get um, into Thursday night and early Friday morning when it comes to an end. Hopefully, that system will move away. Now, we're definitely going to be in the mid and upper 50s on Friday, but I think we have a realistic shot at 60 because that system will move away. Clouds will try to break for a little sun. That could be a really nice finish to the week. Right now, we're still flirting with freezing well off to the north. We're at 34 Montgomery and 36 in Cold Spring, so these numbers could cool a couple of degrees during the overnight, and all of a sudden, we have the freezing problems. We won't have any problem in the city, coast, and the nearby northwest suburbs. Right now, everything's light, just some patchy light snows in the far northern suburbs, a little sleet and a couple of raindrops and Duchess and Putnam. But see this area of snow and rain and ice here that's moving along this front and this front is kind of collapsed in from the north and east, allowing chilly air to seep in once again. And all we need to do is drop things a couple of degrees to have that icing problem. Look how the snow blossoms after 10 o'clock. I think from 10 to midnight, it gets a little steadier to the north and then even farther south as we go from, let's say, two in the morning to six in the morning. So you'll have your slippery spots, whether it's over parts of Passaic County into Sussex County, then in Orange and Putnam Northern Westchester, a couple slippery spots there and a little light snow to the north. We could pick up actually a coating to an inch or so. Everything should be light by the time we get to Wednesday morning. Picking up the future cast during the day, just a light drizzle, intermittent, kind of chilly. We'll see temperatures getting above freezing by midday and then low and mid 40s during the afternoon hours. Tomorrow night, steadier rain starts to come in. I think it's after the evening commute, and then it's waves of rain. I'll pick up that future cast in just a second, but I want to show you the ice future cast, which shows enhanced icing across the Catskills. But I showed you earlier, northern New Jersey and the Hudson Valley could also see some patches of ice in the morning. So take it slow and keep an eye on your home or car thermometer when you're heading out in the morning hours. Snowfall's not going to be a lot, but once we get into Sullivan, Ulster, Duchess, maybe northern Putnam and Fairfield, a coating to an inch or so. There's the steady rain, and look how long it lasts through the day on Thursday. It's not pouring all the time by any means, but waves of light to moderate rain that'll take us into very early Friday morning. That should be enough time with waves of rain to get a half an inch to as much as an inch and a quarter of rainfall. Some ponding on area roadways and by the way, as the warm air is moving in, watch for areas of fog. Cloudy and damp tonight, little light rain at times. Remember, everything after midnight gets a little steadier with the rain, ice and snow to the north, so watch out for those slick spots north and west in the morning. Then light rain or drizzle and areas of fog kind of murky and about 44 tomorrow. Don't drop too much tomorrow night. Rain gets steady and fog could get a little dense. Here's your seven day AccuWeather forecast. So Thursday is not a pleasant day to get around. It's dreary, often on rain, areas of fog, at least it's mild. By Friday, clouds try to break for a little sun, 57. If we can break those clouds up by midday, 60 within reach. Saturday's the better half of the weekend. Sun gives way to clouds, only 50. And by the time we get to Sunday, we've got periods of rain throughout the day. That could actually end as a wintry mix or snow Sunday night into Monday morning. And we have chilly air for at least a couple days early next week. That's the way it's shaping up. Updates throughout the night in ABC 7 NY. I'll see you again at 11. Joe? All right. Break out the umbrella. Lee, thank you. And as we continue with Eyewitness News Extra Time, more migrants arrive in New York, then get shuffled between shelters in bitterly cold conditions. We've got a closer look at the migrant crisis when we come right back. People who disappear without a trace. Where is she? 
the most notorious murder cases in New York. Pure evil. And the most devious killers. There's a Hannibal Lecter feel to him. For chilling true crime stories, follow the True Crime NYC podcast wherever you listen. Now to the ongoing migrant crisis in New York City. The latest numbers published by the city show there are more than 69,000 asylum seekers in the city's shelter system. More than 168,000, pushing 170 soon, they've come through the city's intake system since the spring of 2022. Governor Kathy Hochul recently allocated more than $2 billion to help New York City address the crisis in the five boroughs. Also, the city ordered a curfew for nearly 2,000 migrants at four city centers. And remember, many migrant families and single men have now received eviction notices. We spoke with immigration attorney Renata Castro about the ongoing crisis. New York Governor Kathy Hochul, yes, she allocated more than $2 billion to New York City for the asylum seeker crisis. Renata, I'm going to make you the mayor of New York City now for a few minutes. If you got that money, how would you spend it and where? I would hire a workforce of immigration attorneys to expedite the issuance of employment authorization cards for these migrants. Um, I know we talk a lot about their placement in shelters and how this has created great chaos for the city of New York. However, the overwhelming number of migrants going to shelters, what they really want is the opportunity to work. In fact, there was just a, a story that was published by the New York Times a couple days ago, discussing the plight of a family that stood in the 20 degree cold mm -hmm. in the hopes of getting an ID card from issued by the city of New York. And why? Because they thought that that would be useful for them to work. These migrants want to work. New York City businesses need them working. So why not intervene directly with the federal government, not only for financial aid, but for something that will resolve this problem once and for all, which is to give these people the right to work. It's often the first thing that you hear, Renata, when we go out to talk to them, they'll say, yo quiero, yo quiero trabajo. You know, they want to work. So I understand where you're coming from. You mentioned shelters and the city has used Floyd Bennett Field now. You think that is a viable long-term shelter solution for incoming and newly arrived migrants? And if so, why or why not? It's tough to say what will be a suitable solution as we don't know as the presidential race heats up, how many more migrants will be, you know, surprisingly bust to the city of New York because that's what we're seeing. Mm -hmm. We're sitting we're seeing New York be the recipient of political moves as the presidential race becomes more and more defined. I wouldn't be surprised if we saw a decrease in the number of migrants coming to New York now that Ron DeSantis dropped out of the race. He has no reason to be bigger on a national platform now that he's no longer running for president. And I don't think Trump will be making any funds available to bus people around the country. So I would be surprised if this didn't make a dent in the number of migrants coming to New York, which will then allow the city officials to have a real idea of whether or not there is a migrant crisis 
or if the migrant crisis is just politically induced for more airtime for candidates. I think the cold weather, Renata, has already started to lower the number of migrants coming to, to New York City or even crossing the border because they're coming from Central and South America. And you've seen what the weather is like here and in other cities across the country. Frio, bastante frio. Let me ask you this. 30-day eviction notices for single men here in New York City. 60-day eviction notices for migrant families. These are the ones in city shelters. Lots of heated discussion here in the five boroughs about that policy. Some call it inhumane. The mayor says and argues that it's absolutely necessary in order to keep accommodating the arriving uh, migrants. Where do you fall? I believe that the only way we're going to have a continuous flow of migrants into society that doesn't involve extended stays into shelters is by issuing them employment authorization documents. If you evict a single man after 30 days without the ability or the right to work, what is he going to do? He's going to be panhandling the streets of the city. Is it more desirable? I don't think so. So once again, just doing actions or engaging in a policy that's more designed to create political discussion or public discussion and not to solve the issue is what keeps us stuck in this cycle of never-ending discussions about immigration policy and never really resolving the problem. When will Congress and Senate, who hold exclusive power to pass any kind of meaningful immigration reform, do something that, quite frankly, is part of their job description? And as the mayor has pointed out, it is a crisis that affects every New Yorker. For much more on the migrant crisis, you can tune in to Tiempo this Sunday morning at 11.30 on Channel 7. As we continue here with Eyewitness News Extra Time, the countdown to the Oscars is now on. The nominations for Hollywood's biggest prize were announced today, but there are some big names left off the list. The countdown to the Oscars has officially begun. The Academy of Motion Picture Arts and Sciences unveiled the nominations this morning in Hollywood. Take a look, Oppenheimer leads the way with 13 nominations. The movie Poor Things landed right behind it with 11. Martin Scorsese's Killers of the Flower Moon received 10 nods and the biggest box office success of the year, Barbie, picked up eight nominations. But two glaring omissions stood out. Entertainment reporter Sandy Kenyon looks at the snubs and surprises just 47 days now until Hollywood's biggest night. Barbie is nominated for Best Picture, and Ryan Gosling is up for an Oscar for his supporting role as Ken. And yet, star Margot Robbie didn't get a nod for her acting, although she was recognized as one of the movie's producers. So cool. Greta Gerwig was snubbed in the Best Direction category, but she is eligible to win for the screenplay she co-wrote with her husband. It is literally impossible to be a woman. America Ferreira's memorable speech clearly helped her get a nod as Best Supporting Actress. In the lead category, Lily Gladstone is the favorite for Killers of the Flower Moon after her win at the Golden Globes. She plays the Native American wife who is slowly poisoned while her husband looks on. Leonardo DiCaprio was left off the list this time, but Martin Scorsese, who directed the film, becomes the oldest person ever recognized for direction after a long career of pleasing filmgoers who have come to expect... Maybe something that'll stay with them for years and they'll think about. 
or at least for a few months. <laughs> Anatomy of a Fall, about a wife accused of murdering her husband, is up for Best Picture and marks the fifth year in a row that a film directed by a woman competes for the top prize. And Justine Trier was a surprise. So was the degree of love shown American fiction. Your books are good, but they're not popular. The story of an author going to extreme lengths to sell books has five nominations, including nods for Jeffrey Wright and Sterling K. Brown, who played brothers. I still live in Tucson. What's wrong with Tucson? There's one gay bar and it's full of college kids. One of them asked me if I was Tyler Perry. There was more Oscar love for American fiction than expected, I'm happy to say, and I'm delighted my favorite movie of last year, Poor Things, earned 10 Oscar nominations. It's wild, wacky, and filled with furious jumping. Emma Stone, who was recognized for her acting today, agrees with me. The picture is bonkers, but great. Sandy Kenyon, Eyewitness News. And the Oscars will be handed out on Sunday, March 10th, on Channel 7. Jimmy Kimmel returns his host this year. It will be his fourth time hosting the awards show. And as we continue with Eyewitness News Extra Time, it was a year ago when the Long Island Railroad started service to Grand Central Madison. So how's it going so far? Today marks one year since the MTA opened Grand Central Madison, giving Long Island Railroad riders direct access to Manhattan's east side. The historic project was years in the making and had several bumps in the road after service began. It took about a year for the Long Island Railroad to meet its initial goal, seeing 60% of its customers use Grand Central Madison, while 40% still use Penn Station. Transit officials say that's progress. For the first time, we have enough capacity to send trains out to Long Island in the morning. And that means the Long Island businesses can recruit from the entire region. That is transformative for Long Island's economy. More than 17 million riders have used Grand Central Madison since it opened last January. Battling a terminal kidney disease, a father from Long Island held on to hope that one day, he would find a donor who would help save his life. Well, little did he know that life-saving donation wouldn't come from the generosity of a stranger, but from his own daughter. Today, father and daughter got the chance to say thank you to the team who helped save a life. Here's Michelle Charlesworth. This 34-year-old daughter, Stephanie, saved her dad, Matthew, 16 days ago. She donated one of her kidneys. A miracle, and it makes me feel so great that I could give back to my father. He is 52 and doing great now in a three-piece suit and red soles. But just months ago, his diseased kidneys made him so sick, he had to do almost half a year of dialysis. My kidney, three and a half pounds, is the size of a football. So I had two footballs that were inside me. The surgeon showed us the difference in size, and in this scan, on the left, these are healthy kidneys. On the right were Matthews. From here <laughs> right, to, to oh, here, uh -huh. 40 staples. He knew he was in trouble because his mother died from the same disease eight and a half years ago. Matthew saw how much his mother suffered before she passed away from polycystic kidney disease in 2015. Then he had genetic testing done a couple of years ago and learned that his daughter and his son were clear of the same gene that had made him and his mother sick. A wonderful, wonderful, wonderful day. The chances they would not have the polycystic gene were 50-50. He says his mom is in heaven 
watching all of this. She's looking down and happy as can be right now. Their message to everyone is to get genetic testing as soon as possible and be a living donor. Start looking for a family member, a friend that's willing and get them tested. Get them tested. If you fast forward and ask living donors two years out, what's, you know, what's the best thing you've done in your life? They'll put donating their kidney on that level. And what do the grandkids say? Mommy's a hero and mommy saved Papa's life. In Manhasset, Michelle Charlesworth, Channel 7, Eyewitness News. And that wraps up this edition of Eyewitness News Extra Time. Thank you for joining us. I'm Joe Torres. We're back live on Eyewitness News at 11 o'clock. We hope to see you then. Good night. <laughs>